Greetings, miserable mortals and majestic monstrosities, and welcome to another episode of Memos from an Elder God. May the unknowable expanse of eternity consume and keep you. Today's examination of the human mind comes to us from the incomparable Nathaniel Hawthorne and his masterpiece, The Scarlet Letter. We will traverse the wretched mind of the primary villain, old Roger Chillingsworth, to examine the true depth of his character, and perhaps answer the question, is he a sympathetic mortal, or is he merely a mimic master of malevolence? As the elder texts suggest, humanity is prone to the whims of what they term the soul. In Hawthorne's writings, the examinations of this soul takes on a dichotomous relationship with the mind, with both existing separately but connected. As always, dear worms, I should take a moment to state that we must keep an open mind to mortal thought patterns, and so I ask that our multi-cosmic listeners give Hawthorne some leniency in his human ideas. But I digress. This divide and connection of soul and mind, warmth and bitter cold, is one that is used by many mortals to examine the perceived, quote, goodness and badness of an individual. Since this is a presumably human character we will be dissecting, I will attempt to examine him from these narrow and constricting angles. To begin in earnest, dear Vermin, we must examine this strange notion of soul and how it relates to mind from the narrator's perspective. The narrator of this work has some direct words on the nature of a soul, especially in his discussion of the custom house at the beginning. Our naive narrator remarks on an aspect of the soul when he describes the patriarch as having none at all. The narrator seems to attribute this to a general lack of depth of character. Quote, he possessed no power of thought, no depth of feeling, no troublesome sensibilities. End quote. While he continues his description at some small length, we may conclude that the narrator holds that due to a dearth of passion on any subject, this man has ceased to be truly human, or perhaps never was. Passion for life, passion for the arts, even the slightest opinion on any matter might, might have humanized this man in the narrator's eyes. Alas, no such quality seems to have met his character. So tell me, mortal... If to be human means to hold dear a passion in some form, either in soul or mind, then is this all that is needed for there to be sympathy for the devil? Please then, allow me to introduce Roger Chillingsworth, the man who was able to usurp the devil's own cause. From his earliest introduction, he is nameless, the mind and face of a husband thought long dead by Huster, and a man lost in thought and wilderness. He is introduced as a man of intellect and thought, waiting to gather all knowledge he can before jumping to a conclusion and setting on a path for vengeance. A rare patience that can be found in mortals. In the interview with Hester, he weighs the scales of fate between the two of them and claims that to his mind they hang, quote, fairly balanced. At this juncture, dear Nats, it is worth noting another peculiarity of the human condition. Humans at times perceive injustices in strange ways. Many a mortal has confessed to me undue anguish 
at a slight not meant to harm, and has acted in ways counter to their own benefit. Such is as it was with the old doctor, whose introspection allowed him to acknowledge, at least in part, the harm he caused to the, to the young Hester, but whose intellect and pain gave him his newfound passion for vengeance. And so it was, with this bitterness, he directed his inquisition and ire, and, pr and brokered his pact with Hester, and sealed his form to that of old Roger Chillingsworth, the shadow of the human devil. And as all should know from the seven trials of Theras, obsession leads to self-destruction, and such seemed to be Hawthorne's intent for this character. But before we continue with this devil of a man, a word from our sponsors. Having trouble slumbering for the aeons until your appointed time? Do cultists keep waking you up before your celestial alarm? Try Mego Mind Wipes. Mego Mind Wipes is a locally sourced service guaranteed to keep pesky mortals from remembering your name and calling to you before your appointed time. I tried Mego Mind Wipes, and I have to say it was some of the best slumbering I've had for ages. And if you're not satisfied by the end of your first century, you can contact their home office on Pluto for a full refund, no questions asked. Welcome back, dear insects. After the pact, Chillingsworth is so consumed by his hatred that it begins to alter him physically, a feat I must remind you which is generally considered difficult by most mortal populations. After several years, he finds the mark upon Dimsdale and knows that he has finally found his prey. In this moment, the narrator tells us of the purely twisted joy Chillingsworth felt at this revelation, and soon after, the old man is redoubling his efforts to corrupt now that the search is over. Hester saw this manic energy and power that Chillingsworth had over the young preacher, and sought to allay his vengeance, but to no avail. As anyone, mortal or elder god alike, can attest, once, path, once a path has been chosen, no matter the void to be encountered, it is difficult to falter or change direction. And so it was that Chillingsworth, even after seeing the damage done to himself and others, could not change his mind and embraced the shadow that he had become. Despite his plans to continue his torment of Dimsdale ad nauseum, he was denied. In the final moments of his vengeance, he had no power to stop himself, but was thwarted instead by the young preacher's forgiveness and public revelation. Removed from his unholy pact, through no power of his own, his withered husk lost its unnatural vitality and died less than a year later. However, he did not part without a strange gift of a vast inheritance to the young Pearl. And with that, my dear vermin, we come to the heart of the matter. In both of Hester's private confrontations with the old physician, she asks why he does not seek vengeance upon her. At first, she buys into his line that there is a balance between them, and then later recants that very same position when she has come into her own. This is his external answer, 
and perhaps it is one that she believes that he believes. But this elder god does not buy that. His passionate hatred may have made him human in Hawthorne's eyes, and driven him to this point, but it was a different, quieter passion that potentially saved him from his doom. He had felt truly wronged by her, and yet he sought to keep the child and mother removed from his vengeance, and instead directed it to the unknown, a man he neither knew nor had held any ill will towards him in the act of doing what he did. Perhaps, dear Nats, it is because he still felt something for Hester, twisted as it may have been. Perhaps it is this rare act of unrequited devotion that stayed his voice at her trial, that stayed his hand in her cell, and that ultimately, if briefly, sustained a life that had almost been entirely consumed by its dark obsession. In his last act of generosity, is some humanity finally restored to this devil man? I cannot speak for your mind, dear listener, but Hawthorne did not write lightly of the old physician and the minister's chances of reconciliation beyond their lives. Anywho, that is it for today's episode. This has been Memos from an Elder God, and may the unknowable expanse of eternity consume and keep you all.